On this episode of the Saltwater Stories, I sit down with John McCullough, an up-and-coming shaper and the owner of Monarch Surfboards based in San Diego, California. John and I have been friends for several years now, and within those years, I've seen his shaping and business continue to grow. We discuss how John got started with it all, how his shaping was mentored by various people and jobs around the world. In many ways, he has pieced together knowledge for some great folks, both obscure and household names like Joe Ropers and Sharp Eye, to eventually become the shaper he is now. We go on to chat about how he dials in creating custom-made boards that uniquely allow surfers to connect with the flow of the waves. John has a beautiful outlook on utilizing the spotlight of his company and its outreach as a means to help give back. None of that ulterior motive stuff. He sees the opportunity to give back just for the sake of doing a good thing, all whilst connecting the community through selfless service. Born and raised in New York, to then spending some summers in New Zealand, to eventually residing in California as a full-time accountant and monarch surf owner and shaper, John's story speaks of the unique path he's taken to get to where he is today. I'm excited to see where shaping takes him next. I hope you enjoy this episode. John McCullough, welcome to the Saltwater Stories. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's super exciting and it's fun doing this in my living room. Um, and we're old friends. I think we've been friends now for, gosh, four years. So, yeah, wow. I know. Pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But yeah, welcome. And um, we'll kind of jump in if, if that's okay. Uh, you're from Long Island, New York. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And something that I think is funny is that when most people think of New York, they don't necessarily think surfing. Mm, yeah, right? I get that a lot. Yeah. So, where, like, where are the origins and foundations of your surfing life now? Especially since you're the owner of Monarch Surfboards, right? Yeah. And um, so, where did it all begin? Um, when I was growing up, my dad would go surfing with his buddy Gerard, and uh, he. We just thought it was cool that he had a, a Jeep Wrangler and they put the boards on top. And that was when I was real young. And then we started going on like vacation during the summer in Avalon, New Jersey. Mm. And probably when I was like 10 or 11 or something, we rented a longboard and my dad pushed me into waves and then started catching waves, whatever. And then we went to the, we were always going to the beach over the summer. So we would like body surf and boogie board and skim board. And then we got a, membership at the beach club in Atlantic beach at silver point beach club. And then we got a surfboard or a foamy. So probably then that was around like 15, 16 ish kind of started doing a little bit more. And then I started working as an ocean lifeguard in also in Atlantic beach at Lawrence beach club. And then I was at the beach every day, barred boards, whatever, started surfing more there. And then that's when I bought my surf, my first surfboard from uh, Atlantic beach surf shop. And it was actually a Canyon surfboard. But like a, a like a pop out one version canyons now I've learned is from San Diego and I think when that business went under I don't know the exact history of it but something happened where like some guy was just trolling the internet for um, surfboard labels that were like not being maintained anymore or like mm. or something like right when it w- went back on the market this guy took Canyon surfboards and just started like pumping out these boards and putting that logo on it but it was like a legendary San Diego old school brand. So you're saying someone like essentially was copying that brand Canyon and it was not actually Canyon. Yeah. I forget exactly who it was, but it was like guys from here um, Hmm. that had Canyon. It was sick, like a local brand and whatever it's called, like the trademark once that went up and maybe the Uh, the guys passed away. Someone just took that label and like continued it on, but just Mm. like pop out boards and Interesting. Anyway, that was my first board that I bought from the surf shop. Very nice. So it basically was an, an inspiration from your father and just summers spent in New York. Yeah. Nice. Way to time, reel me back in. Yeah. Nice. No, absolutely. And you've also spent some time in actually the, I guess you could say the ice version of water, which is, um, you know, skiing and snowboarding. Oh, yeah. Did that play an important part in your kind of development and passion for surfing? Yeah, I would say so, you know, just like board sports and like mm. action sports. Um, so it'd be fun. Like well, I, I snowboarded a lot. Like I, I started skiing and then when I was 12, I sprained my neck skiing. Jesus. Um, and so then the next winter I started snowboarding. Um, and then, yeah, when I, when I was younger, I actually like was more into like 
snowboarding stuff because I wasn't so into surfing yet. Mm. And uh, yeah, I consider, you know, during the winters, like we, we, we went a lot, a lot of family trips and then some friend trips as we got older. But yeah, it definitely goes hand in hand. I mean, so many people that as a surf coach, when I worked surf coach, they say, oh, I skateboard or I snowboard and like kind of translates a little bit, but yeah. like nothing really translates to like uh, being in the ocean, like catching waves. Uh, and then once you're up, maybe it translates a little bit or you could pick it up. But so, yeah, I don't know. They do go hand in hand to a certain degree. Yeah. But me. it's interesting because you said board sport. And for me, what I'm thinking of is obviously you own Monarch. Um, so you make custom boards for people and you have, of course, apparel and other things along with that brand. But do, do you think that concept of like having different boards or even different board sports in your life kind of maybe sparked this kind of interest in creating your own surfboards eventually? Or where did that even come from, that the kind of spark to create your own board? Like, where did it start? Uh, so that started, I mean, maybe I could tie it back to snowboarding. In, I probably can in a way. <laughs> but, you don't have to. Maybe it doesn't have anything to do with no, it. No, it, it does a little bit. Um, but making my own board started working as a lifeguard, mm -hmm. fixing dings. I actually like didn't know how to fix dings. Some kids taught me and I saw like the fiberglass and the resin little kit they had. I thought it was really cool. looking. I was like, Whoa, that's cool. I have no idea how to use that stuff. It looks really cool. Yeah. Um, and then my dad would tell me stories, you know, I tell him I got to fix this ding. And then he told me this story of like his uncle had a board that had all these dings in it and he resin, you know, used resin and fiberglass to and he fixed the board and whatever. And, uh, I thought that was really cool. So then, yeah, fixing dings was how I got into working on boards. And then in college, I had to take an elective, you know, and I mm -hmm. took a watercolor class. Oh, and neat. Before that, I, I did not really consider myself that artistic. And then I fell in love with watercolor, took it the next semester, like level two, whatever, and then learned how to mix colors and then came out here to work at a factory and uh, did a lot of co resin color mixing there. Um and like mixing custom colors, whatever. And it totally was like, oh, I, I know how to mix these colors. I know how to make a violet because I did that in watercolor. And we like learned how to mix colors. And then I just started messing around with boards. And then, yeah, like I shaped, I, I would, I, I was interested in shaping because shaping was cool, you know? Um, so like when I, if, I'm going to hop around a little bit here. Sure. Yeah. I'm with you. But when I was working at Unsound Surf Shop too for a little bit. And yeah, that was like, so I skipped a little bit, but like I went to New Zealand twice and did my own dings there. And I actually, the second time I, I like did some dings for some travelers. That was cool. Made a little bit of extra cash and then went back, came back from there, worked at Unsound Surf Shop. And that was my second summer working at Unsound. And that's when, uh, Mike, one of the owners was just like, uh, there was like a fin box repair came in and I didn't know how to do those. And he was like, I think he was overdoing ding repair. So he was like, you got it, just do it. So I took it home and I just figured out how to fix a, the fin box. And uh, then that was like, all right, I was pretty good at fixing boards. I know how to use fiberglass and resin, blah, blah, blah. Graduated school, back to New Zealand, back home. Anyway, yeah, a lot of, a lot of ding repair for a while in New yeah. York. And then when I came out here, after some time, I go and buy of working at that shop and, you know, shaping a little bit and being inspired by the shapers that were coming into the shop. And what shop was this? Is this Joe Roper's? Yeah. yeah. This was Joe Roper's ding repair and glass shop. Um, and he's just, you know, he's a legend and he's got all of his buddies are kind of legends as well. And a lot of guys, you know, like me, we look up to them and it was pretty awesome to be, you know, taking their, you know, blank shapes in and writing up the glass card for them and learning so much from them. Uh, so anyway, I, I would try to shape a little bit in my backyard and, I developed a little tent and now it's a bigger tent and mm, yeah. um yeah and then I had an old uh, longboard that I I had fixed at Joe Rober's while I was working there and it was an old yeah probably like a 93 longboard that we fixed it up and I used it for one winter and then it no or summer or whatever or one season then it 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 broke again or whatever and was like kind of toast it was pretty beat up the first time and uh I I skinned that meaning I took off all the fiberglass from it and I reshaped it into this like flat little fish thing. And uh, that was the first board I had ever glassed in my backyard. Mm. And it came out sick. I did this like really cool, like, you know, resin splash on it, whatever. All people different call it different things, but abstract kind of, which is now what I really like enjoy doing with Monarch surfboards is giving it that custom kind of resin tint or pigment, whatever. Um, 
So that was an all-over-the-place version of how I started working on surfboards. <laughs> it was from dinger pair to recycling boards and learning from shapers to trying it in my backyard and just... And then I went up, actually, for that same board, I went up to uh, Santa Barbara for a little bit. Mm. And I went to the True Ames factory the, where they make fins. And I met Chuck Ames, and I was looking at these Bonzer fins because I was going to, on that board that I glassed, I did these glass on. It's actually three Bonzer fins. And the center one was foiled on both sides, and the outer ones were just on the outsides. And I glassed those onto this board, but it was like, so it was like kind of this slidey, weird board. But I was looking at the Bonzer fins at the Terrain's factory and I was like, oh, I've never made fins before. I was thinking about trying to make them like, or I mean, these are right here. Should I just buy these? And he, and Chuck Ames was like, oh, get your hands dirty or get your hands wet, you know, with the resin and glass. And so I did. And that was really fun. That kind of sparked me like, hell yeah, I could, you know, get my hands on this stuff and put color in it and use my art, whatever, to make it kind of art. Yeah, it really, and it is really a piece of art that you get to utilize in the water, which I think is beautiful. But from what it sounds like, it's like not not necessarily that you're self-made, but but kind of like you you didn't have like a single mentor that guided you the entire time. It sounds like you actually just pieced together like lots of different mentors, but within small time frames and learning different pieces and put it together in your own right. Does that sound a little bit correct? Yeah, no, definitely. It is kind of cool because I do have I've I've been around a lot of different places and I've got a lot of different mentors. I mean, my parents have been like my number one supporter, like the Mm. whole way from any, you know, pretty much any endeavor I was going on, they were like behind me a hundred percent. Um, so that's been awesome. And my dad has a, um, a custom frame shop in New York. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it was a family, it's a, it's still a family business and it started as with my grandpa starting it in his basement. And then like, literally they made like, they make like high end quality, custom frames for pictures and mirrors, whatever. Um, and they, my grandpa started doing that in their basement at home in New York. And then they got a one shop and then they moved to another shop and it was called Jack's custom framing, mm-hmm. mostly like wholesale stuff. And then now, it, no, no, no. I mean, it was uh, John L McCullough pictures and mirrors and now it's Jack's custom framing. And he does like anyone could walk in his shop with graduation diplomas or uh, photos, art, whatever. And he'll make, you know, give you a really great frame. So He's been my number one mentor for like um, following in like your own kind of family run business. Um, But then, yeah, you know, mentors from New Zealand, Hawaii, out here, California and everywhere. You know, I could take a lesson from an interaction like Celestine Prophecy. You know, anyone hasn't read that book, give that book a read. But yeah, we don't have to plug deep into that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it sounds like craftsmanship is in the family then, um, which is really neat um maybe it's inspiration to see that level of craftsmanship and artistic expression through that um and then you had you've done it in your own right which is neat um i'm curious what because you brought up new zealand twice and um or that you've gone twice for several months so bigger stints than just like you know a couple week vacation kind of thing what initially brought you out what what was that um what was going on in your life at that time that brought you out um, cause if it wasn't necessarily to, I don't know, see a mentor specifically, it sounds like you almost came across a mentor in a way. Yeah. That was actually an awesome time. Um, I mean, things have been good, but that was really fun. That was my junior year of college. I was pretty much like on track to, um, getting my accounting degree and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of just did that. And it, was, it wasn't bad. Like it was kind of, you know, it was fine. It was school and I was playing <laughs> yeah. lacrosse. So I was kind of just playing lacrosse and school was secondary. So I didn't really think about it too much. Um, and then I needed to get an internship for my course, whatever, you know, you need to get an internship, uh, an accounting internship. So I was actually talking to, and I've, you know, I've been surfing all throughout school and going home whenever there's hurricanes or whatever, when I could around the lacrosse schedule. Um, so I was looking for an internship in California at the time and uh, just different like surf shops out here kind of because I didn't know. I, I just didn't want to. I, I went and did an interview at like an accounting firm for an internship and it would have been, you know, exactly what you could think. I was wearing a suit, just got a fresh haircut for the interview, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I was doing the, I would do these pool workouts at school with the team or with certain guys from the team that were interested in doing these workouts in the pool. And uh, 
I was talking to this kid. He's a freshman from California. And I was just telling we were just talking about life, whatever. And we would do breath hold stuff. So I remember we were sitting mm. on the edge of the pool, just kind of hanging out, talking. And uh, I was telling him, oh, yeah, I'm looking for an internship. You know, I'm talking to these surf shops in California. You ever heard of them? Because he was from out there. And he said, oh, you should, uh, you should, like, you should talk to my uncle. He's got a surf shop in Australia or New Zealand. And he didn't even know. And I was like, <laughs> Oh, what? Yeah, that sounds cool. Like, can I get his email? So anyway, I emailed him, got his, e his uncle's email, emailed him, said, hey, you know, I'm John, I'm yada, 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 looking for an internship. I heard you had a surf shop. And uh, at the time, I was like telling my parents like what I was up to, you know, and, I, and then one day I called them. I said, yeah, so I got a couple, you know, internships that I'm interested in. It's one's at, uh, you know, LLC, whatever, you know, accounting firm, one's at this finance firm. And then there's a surf shop in New Zealand. And they were like, what? Excuse me. And, uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's my friend's uncle. He's got a surf shop. And they said, you know, they've only been open for a year or two, and they could totally use uh, some an intern, whatever, and they're interested. And uh, sure enough, I, like, FaceTime with them a couple times. At the time, it was Mike and Johnny, two business partners. Um, and I went, and I met them. They both picked me up at the surf shop. I, I mean, at the airport, and I had never met them yet. Um, and both those guys have been, you know, pretty big mentors to me along the way. We did a lot. We did, we, you know, surf, we surfed all the time. We, the first time I was there, I worked at the surf shop and totally got humbled because I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but I basically, I, I worked at the shop from eight to five Monday through Friday or Saturday. And, uh, yeah, I didn't get paid cause it was like a, uh, unpaid internship, yeah. but they, they fed me and they took me surfing in these insane spots and we went hunting, you know, boar hunting. That's a whole story I could get into. Maybe I'll tell that story at the end. Like, yeah. We'll come back to the boar yeah. hunting story. We got time. Um, so yeah, those guys, and then just freaking locals over there just being, I mean, that was my first time I've traveled with my family to different areas, but going to New Zealand and surfing like these remote waves with these, you know, new, interesting people to me. Uh, we were living up in, uh, like way up North. Um, and I met, you know, the, I always uh, think about how I pronounce this word cause everyone says it differently, and I, but the Maoris, the local people, mm -hmm. up there, you know, we, that's where we lived. I was, you know, made a lot of friends and uh, just learned a lot from those types, you know, of friends that I met there. Yeah, it's um, kind of interesting how the cascade of events leads you right to New Zealand. Like, I wouldn't have guessed that, but I think that's brilliant that it technically came from an accounting internship need. <laughs> there yeah. you are in a surf shop in New Zealand, surfing remote waves that um, only SoCal kids would dream of because, of course, it's crowded. Um, where we are, at least it is very much now. Um, something that I noticed when, and listeners um, kind of, again, I always have uh, anyone that comes on kind of give me a list of kind of things or points about themselves. But <laughs> John mentioned being towed in um, to bigger waves in New Zealand during his time there. Um, also getting in the newspaper twice uh, with the name of Wee John. <laughs> so can you elaborate? Like what what gave you this name Wee John? Personally, when I hear it, I'm like, either that's like a pity thing, like, oh, <laughs> yeah, Wee John, yeah. like almost died. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Did, what, yeah, let's hear it. What, what happened? Oh, um. I worked for John and Mike, Johnny, mm -hmm. and he was, you know, this big dude, mm, you know, okay. <laughs> big, like boxing champion and just insane, you know, surfer and whatever. So I was little John. I just, next to him, I was little John. Yeah, they called okay. me Wee John. And then it kind of stuck. And uh, yeah, Wee John was it. But yeah, the paper thing, what I do. Um, oh, it was kind of funny. We were working at the, I worked. They had a cafe too. Mm -hmm. So I was working at the cafe and there's a picture of us cutting up like food or I think it was like mushrooms, like just whatever you put in a salad or whatever they make them for. And the photographer from the whatever Herald um, took a photo of us cutting mushrooms. And he was like, here's Wee John uh, just graduated with his accounting degree. Now cutting mushrooms at the North <laughs> Drift Cafe. So I kind of made a little joke about yeah. it. And then the other one was awesome. We did a, uh, a surf coaching day for um, people with physical disabilities. Um, so, you know, maybe from cerebral palsy to like, I don't even remember or I don't know exactly what, what it was. It was a whole range of things. But yeah. some people couldn't really move their muscles. So they'd be, you know, laying down in a chair and we'd get them out, put them on these like big 12, 13 foot 
uh, inflatable stand-up paddle boards. And we'd give them surf, you know, not surf lessons, but we'd bring them into waves. And uh, I got to do that with uh, Uncle Gary, Mama Mary, they, they, the couple that kind of took me under their wing over there. Um, another big mentor couple. Um, they've actually been, they're huge in my life. But anyway, uh, I went with them. And it was his, you know, uh, the Beach Boys. And we did this stuff. And that got in the newspaper. Got so that it. was pretty cool. Yeah. And then what was that experience like um, working with, and it was, Kids, correct? No, it was a whole was range of adults of, as well. Yeah. And then even um, the teachers were interested in surfing that had never surfed before. So that was like my claim to fame as a professional surf coach because <laughs> I had to get that certification was that uh, the lady was 80 years old and I got her to stand up to her knees on a wave. Aww. She couldn't physically get up to her feet, she sure. said, but that was rad. She was stoked that she had never surfed before ever in her life. 80 yeah. years old, surfed wave on her knees. So she was pumped. But the experience of the whole thing was amazing. I mean, some of those kids, they were, you know, um, looked like, you know, they could be maybe uncomfortable at times. And uh, they were just riding waves just with the biggest smiles, like almost like cracking up because they couldn't just, their, their smile was too big to like stand still. Mm. And uh, that was amazing. Giving, seeing them having so much fun and having such a big smile to, from what they, you know, what they were doing before is just, that was awesome. Yeah, um, that's there's something that's really special. I mean, of course, there's a level of we get kind of pinned as surfers of, of being kind of selfish folk. Um, we're like, we want all the waves to ourselves as much as possible. But when you're especially paddling up, there's no chance you can even get the wave and you finally get to see your, your friend, especially or just anyone really catch a wave. Um, and you see that experience just front line and center. There's something so special about it that's almost equally as great as being on the wave yourself. So I can only imagine kind of getting to see that. And and it's neat because I think surfing really brings out kind of this childlike expression and play. And especially for maybe a group of people that don't really get to have that expression as often. Um, I I don't know. Did it seem like it was almost like overwhelming for them that like experience or just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Some of them, um, it was cool too, because some of them, it wasn't their first time doing mm. it. So they were even more stoked to get back out there. Great. But then, yeah, prob probably, you know, first time having that kind of feeling was yeah. probably definitely overwhelming for them. And then, I mean, it was almost like overwhelming for us as coaches to, be like given this opportunity to mm. uh help someone else experience that it's just like a beautiful thing um yeah. so yeah it was kind of overwhelming and probably for all of us you know yeah but that's yeah i'm glad you were able to do that and and it makes me think with monarch surfboards you have a, a phil philanthropic side to it um i know you and i actually worked oh, together um on a um charity event for the trevor project which helps um youth in the lgbt community LGBTQ community um, in crisis and suicide prevention and in raising money for that. Um, it was a yoga and um, charity event while you raffled one of your boards and we raised money for that. And then you recently uh, collaborated with Juneshine Brewery. Um, I believe it was for um, Native Like Water and um, what was it? Uh, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network is what you guys were raising money for. So yeah, it seems like there's a philanthropic side. I don't know if it's connected to this experience um, of just being able to give back or, yeah, what do you think is fueling that, that side of, of your business uh, as an owner? Because it's you have a lot on your plate, by the way. I always oh, think yeah. I'm like, does John sleep? <laughs> does he? Surprisingly, I sleep pretty good. Good. That's great. Yeah. It's, yeah love that. <laughs> I love to hear that. It's good. Um, but yeah, where does this um, kind of giving side come from? Does it just feel natural? There's not even a thing that you can pinpoint it to? Or is there kind of a direction you want to have with a philanthropic side um, with Monarch? Yeah. Yeah. Um... I don't know if I could pinpoint it to one thing, but one thing for sure is that it feels good, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and the one we did last year with the Trevor Project was so cool because that was just uh, like a random idea. Uh, I don't know how it even started, but then I just reached out to all these other restaurants and I think we got like $500 worth of local restaurant yeah. gift cards. And it was just fun to not only donate all, I think we raised 1200 like $1,300 for the Trevor Project last year. Yeah. That was cool. Just donate that. And it's just like, you know, as like a, a new business owner, like you, you want to get those like, you know, bigger sales to like help fuel you going. So it was kind of interesting, you know, have this $1,300 and 
and donate it. And it's like, wow, it still feels so good. It doesn't matter if, the, you know, in whatever way the money's flowing around and if you can make it in a good way, that's cool. Um, and then just having all your friends meet up in one area. And that was the sickest, uh, fundraiser. I met all your climbing friends, yeah. <laughs> got into climbing. That was, that was really cool. Yeah. Um, but tie it back down to like a, uh, where did it come from? Just feels good to give. And yeah, it's just like you could do events. Yeah. If I'm going to make all these surfboards, you know, you buy materials in bulk, you could, you could get away with a board not costing you that much mm-hmm. and then do a great event, get a bunch of people together, um, raise money for a good cause. It's just fun. And like, I, I think it's just fun for me to get people together and do events like that. It's like an event too, you know, it's like, yeah. oh, let's go. People are down to donate. It's usually just a cool way to raise, raise some money for a good cause and doing all different causes, you know, who knows what the next one's going to be. Yeah, great. So it doesn't sound like there's like a trend necessarily for where the money goes, but just kind of giving for the giving sake. And I think what you bring up too is like a sense of uh, networking, but like in a sense of community, like you are bringing in local local groups, um, you're bringing in local people like myself who teach yoga and just kind of connecting people in that way um, for a greater cause. I think we can kind of get like lost in this kind of path of like what's what do we need to do for ourselves and so it's nice to kind of step out and realize that you know we can't always do things all on our own and that we actually have to utilize a community and that's why it's nice to give back just for giving back sake not because you're going to get anything necessarily but just because yeah that's that's kind of what it's all about right yeah community is huge um having you know your especially on a smaller term just like where you live you know your community where you live if there's there's stuff like that where there's events where everyone could get together, have a good time, and do something good. Everyone goes home having it, uh, saying, "Wow, that was a great weekend." You know, we got to see all our friends. We donated to a good cause. It's just like one of those feel-good things that definitely brings a community closer together. And like, yeah, that's great, um, 100%. It's so fun to do all that stuff. But if I could be, if I could have a business that supports those types of events then it's, it's good for everyone because it's like, I'm not out here to, you know, make a bunch of money. Obviously, I want to make money, have a house, whatever, yeah. raise a family. Everyone needs money. You to know? live, yep. To live. Unfortunate reality, but yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, modern day survival. Yep. You know, you used yeah. to go out, hunt, whatever. Um, now you got to go out and make money. Uh, you know, for the most part. There's do- there's dozen ways, a billion ways to live your life out here now. But this is how I'm choosing to make mine. You know, I, I like making surfboards. So if I could turn that into something that supports me and the community and then could donate on a greater scale, like eventually, you know, I'll keep on working on boards and they'll get better and better and prettier and prettier and maybe more money will be raised per board. Um, So probably, probably look forward to some more, definitely more events like this. Absolutely. And likewise. So hopefully I get to partake in more as well. Um, switching gears, I had a question that I'm curious for you to answer. Now you, so you got your degree in accounting, um, but you minored in philosophy and was it spiritual? Um, religious studies. Religious studies. So the main question for that is, um, or that ties that in is, do you think that surfing is a spiritual experience? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I think the easiest way to describe why I think it's a spiritual experience it's almost like metaphysical in a way. It's like, you know, if you look at the ocean and even if it's a flat day, it's the tide's still coming in and out, you know, it's moving, there's energy in the water. And then you, you watch a day of waves and that ocean is water that has energy moving through it. So I read this quote somewhere and it just stuck with me that when you're surfing, you are sharing energy with wherever that energy is coming from, whatever, you know, Whatever energy is, God, you know, the universe, you know, energy, you're sharing energy for a little bit where that's cool because a lot of times humans, like us freaking humans, are Mm -hmm. taking energy from the earth and not, it's not going back. But for a little while as a surfer, you could share this energy and then it just fades away and you're like, wow, that was amazing. That was my best wave of my life. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess that's kind of spiritual in a way. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up sharing in that energy because in a lot of talk, like it almost is like we're taking energy from the wave, like we're experiencing the wave. So we're kind of taking that energy. How do you feel like when we're surfing, we're giving back that energy? Uh, Well, you know, it's like a 
you know, I don't want to sound cliche, but it's like a dance, you know, there's a wave yeah. that's moving through. And I think that that wave is going to grow, is going to go. And that wave's got more energy than we have. We're just trying to keep up with it. So um, that energy's going. And so I don't, I don't consider it like we're taking energy from it. I think we're going to, it's like a, this is just energy and we're, we're able to grab onto it for a little bit, almost like, mm. um, you know, maybe it compares to like rock climbing. Like there's just these big juts of earth out that are mountains. And then as a climber, like you guys, like, you know, you're kind of on that wall for just a little bit of time. Um, and you're kind of sharing it's, it's yeah. natural beauty and energy. And then that's cool. Cause like, um, kind of in the philosophy aspect of it, that's why, you know, back in the day, what's the movie Valley Uprising's got the whole mm. history of the philosophy of why some guys didn't want it to be bolted because, yeah. you, you know, you're kind of nailing something into this big block of natural energy and you should climb it pure, you know, because it's pure. Um, so, yeah, different inter interpretations of that led to different types of climbing. And I think it's still overall a very respected community that doesn't take too much. Yeah, no, I think you're right in a lot of ways. I think it's funny is because when we surf, we like we could have like probably one of the best experiences of our lives, right? There's that potential. I think that's what we're always mm -hmm. trying to, to reach when we go on surf sessions, right? You're like, oh, maybe this will be the one. But um, but we walk away without anything tangible, right? Like we have our surfboard that we brought in with us probably. And if surfboard is even like the mode of what you're utilizing to play in the water, in the waves, but really there's like this transfer of energy, but it's, I, and like you said, I almost think that the, and for sure the ocean has more energy to, to give in a lot of ways that there's sometimes this transfer of energy where you just come out feeling energized because there is this transfer of energy. You feel it deeply and, but there's a connection in it because like you said, it's a dance and we have to be able to, I think, interpret and move with it in order to even be on it. So, um, yeah, quite beautiful indeed. And I think it was really cool when I was on your um, website, you had a little um, quote that said a surfboard is an extension of yourself that allows you to connect with and share the energy of the ocean. So kind of tying that in for you specifically with Monarch, like you're creating the device to connect. So how has that been kind of, yeah, how has that been that journey of kind of like dialing in boards and how you connect even more with, with the wave? Like, do you ever get very interested in like a specific person and their style and then like creating a board specifically for that person to connect even more with the wave? Like, um, what does that look like as a surfboard shaper? Um, yeah. So, well, this, I'll probably jump around all over the place, but <laughs> that's okay. You know, say if you true know, to so, John form. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like if someone wants a board, maybe they'll see a board that I've made before and say, I think I want something like this. And then we'll talk and maybe you could only say so much over text. So I'll say, hey, we get on a call and I'll just ask them like, why, why do you want that board? Um, why do you think you want that shape? Where are you? And then like, where are you going to be surfing? What do you think your skill level's like? And then what kind of board do you surf now? You know, how long you've been surfing it? You're ready to go down. Some, you know, most people want to go down in size. They want to be riding shortboards. But then, you know, you get someone who knows what they want. Um, so, yeah, even for a longboard, you know, any board is really, for me, at least super custom. But like I, I was talking before about the different factory factories I've worked at. And now I've worked at more since Joe's. Um, and I've interacted with so many, like, local shapers out here. Um and just have touched so many surfboards, especially working at Joe's. Like we touched thousands of surfboards a year, um, you know, fixing them. So we got all different kinds, whereas some of the other factories were just one brand. So we see all those same designs, but I've just been able to be around boards a lot, you know, for the last couple of years and see, and then working at the surf shop, you know, there's so many different boards on the rack and you have to kind of become a salesman. So you learn what that person, and I wanted to be a good, I wanted to get someone on the right board. So, I, you know, I talked to these customers and I'd be like, oh, it's so stoked. Was, you know, I was 20 and just wanted to get these people the right boards. And you learn what to ask and what they want. And then by seeing all the different boards and then traveling and seeing people surf different boards in all different size waves, um, you kind of learn a little bit about what boards work in certain areas. And especially working at those like high caliber shops um, that have, top five athletes riding for them you learn like what what 
what makes a difference, even if it's a really tiny difference in, in a certain little tiny spot on the board. Um, these certain little design aspects are uh, super important to what your board's going to do on a wave. So I'm lucky to have worked at these different places and picked up that experience. Great. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I. It's funny is that I, you know, I know a tiny bit really about board shaping, but just like enough to like maybe... <laughs> talk about it but like not really in any greater way that I think that's why it's part of the craft right you get to become intimate with just like we get intimate with the coastscape and like understanding our like home break right mm -hmm. it's like you're understanding the nuances and all the little aspects that can create a different feeling and I think that's what I've gotten also recently really excited about is just like okay, we, we love surfing for various reasons, but when you start to dive into like different fins, different boards, different, it's endless and the feelings are endless and it gets really fun to play around with like, what does this, I don't know, whatever you might change to a board, how does that affect the feeling? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like chasing different feelings and like becoming um, like experienced with that feeling and then you're like, cool, dialed it in, let's try something new. And so that's where it's been, and not that it's always fun because usually there's like this little phase of like, I feel like a kook, I don't know what the heck I'm doing on this new feeling of sorts. It's a kook feeling, but yeah, that's what is neat, I think, about how expansive and broad that, um, your experience can be just off of the board itself and yeah. fins for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could, your board could feel completely different, like four different boards with four different sets of fins. So just exploring fins is really fun. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I recommend all surfers to try to ride different shapes because the ocean's always going to have different waves coming through. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, most, you know, a lot of surfers will kind of find their niche and like what they enjoy most say doing. So maybe what kind of board, they enjoy most riding waves on and they'll surf when the waves are that type. But it is cool. I think to be able to go out when it's small and grab a longboard or a fish or whatever. I mean, you can really ride anything and anything for the most part. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty cool to be a well-rounded surfer, you know, surf all different size waves. That's the goal, right? <laughs> different boards too. And yeah, I mean, if, if you can ride different boards, they're pretty fun, you know, get, in, get, you know, talk to your local shaper. If you have an idea, um, they'll probably be able to match it for you or, you know, have their own version of it. Yeah. And I think that's also a good point. It's just like having a local shaper, um, someone that understands, again, that coastscape because it becomes a part of building that board for for you or for someone in particular. And then I'm curious, do you have a favorite board, like a different style board fin setup? Like, what's your favorite? Is that a fair question? Yeah, it's a fair <laughs> question. What's my favorite board? I mean, I love twin fins. I, I, I have a couple like performancey swallowtails. I love longboarding, too. What's my favorite though? If I had to choose one board to choose, it would probably be like a, I have um, a six, nine twin fin mm. and it's like a, a round tail. But right now I'm, I'm making a board that's a, a six, eight going to be a twin fin or a single fin. And it's like this double winged. And right now it's still square. I'm, so it's, it's got two wings on the, on the tail. And then I'm not sure if I'm going to do a tiny swallowtail or a round tail on it, but something like that, like a, Six eight, six nine, six ten, six six to six ten twin yeah. fin of some sorts would be my go-to board because you could hide foam in there and get into smaller days, and they work sick in big waves too. You know when it's bigger, and I mean I don't really go out when it's like gnarly big, or I haven't recently. Um, so yeah, overall six eight twin fin. And what? And last little question on that note: What is is it with that kind of specific board that what's the feeling that you like about it the most? And if you can even describe the feeling. Yeah. Well, number one, maybe I'm a lazy paddler. So I really like having an ease of paddling. It just makes the whole <laughs> session more fun yeah. for me. So, and then, yeah, you're, you know, it's a little bit more buoyant, like foam is your friend. I always say, or, you know, a lot of people say that. Yeah. Um, and then the looseness of a twin fin is rad, but you have the big board, but with a good shape, you know, you, you could, kind of put it where you want and turn all over the place even though it's so big you only have the twin fin so you're a little bit looser and you could move it around a lot um so yeah probably the looseness i actually had a really cool feeling the other day i was riding it i was actually riding my friends the model on the website is called the humblebee on monarchsurf.com check it out but i was riding my buddies <laughs> and uh it was a tiny little wave it was probably like a two-foot wave at scripts yeah and uh it was like uh, powder surfing was the feel was the idea that came in my head. 
And I was like, all right, I'm going to start describing that's how this board feels. Like you're powder like really surfing. like powder, you know, and yeah. snowboarding, but yeah, I should have said whatever, riding on powder, you know, and you're just kind of floating. And it was a really crystal clear day. So it kind of felt like you were flying, you know, yeah. you know, it's clear, you see down and it's like, yeah. yeah. That's my favorite, honestly. We don't get a, a ton of those in SoCal, but oh. cool. Powder, powder surfing. It makes sense. You've, you've heard yeah. it here first, folks. <laughs> totally. Um, and then switching gears again, um, just another question that I've you know brought up to you before, but is there a moment or experience that um, you experienced great fear in the water? Um, I know you've had experiences towing into bigger stuff, hold downs, um, but maybe it has nothing to do with that. But yeah, I'm yeah. Your experience with great fear in the water. Uh, that would probably be in the water. Oh, yeah, there's twice. That that. So I only was on a ski a couple times, like a handful of times in my life. And I'm so grateful for those times. And this kind of ties back. You did ask something like that before. And I probably just went on a tangent. Um, and then you said something about sharing. And so this ties back to that because I went out and um, it was Christmas Eve we went out and we towed in and I got towed in only because um, he wanted to show me the ski and how it works. Um, so he told me into a couple waves and it was sick. It was so much fun. You know, it was great. And I don't think, I think I made most of the waves and uh, I don't how, know how, how big are we talking? Cause towing in usually it's around a certain height because you right, can't really paddle be, in um, yeah. on I your mean, own. But was it kind of like at that borderline between you could probably paddle in if you wanted or no, it was past that point? No, I mean, yeah, guys paddle into Nazare when it's freaking yeah. 70 <laughs> feet. So I think it's just the type of person. But is that wave more of a – there are waves that are, people consider them paddle waves, tow waves. I don't really know. I don't know enough about the spot. I was lucky enough to be kind of taken around there. Um, and we, we were by our, it was It was a great session. But um, could someone have paddled it? I don't know. Could I have paddled it? No way. Um, <laughs> the lazy paddler. He's like, heck no. <laughs> yeah. It was just, a, it was like a really pretty sh shallowy mm -hmm. reefy spot. And um, anyway, yeah, we first day was great. And then the second day was Christmas morning and uh, we went out. I was kind of sick. I didn't feel that good that day. And he took me out and on the first wave, um, it was just, it kind of like never really broke. It just like, it was standing up for a while and it was high tide, so it was kind of getting, I don't know, kind of weird and close to the shore in a way. It was just like these rock, rock reefy cliffs. And, uh, yeah, so I went, toned me in, and then I don't know what happened. I think it just, like, because it took so long to break, I was just kind of in a weird spot, and I was inexperienced, and I got pushed in front of the wave. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came back to try to grab me, and I, like, before the next wave was coming, and I put my hand on the, the sled on the back and I was holding on, but then my board slipped out. So my board was dragging and then he turned around and he told me to let go. And I was like, Oh, I want to get out of here so bad. Uh, I was dragging him back. And if we lost a ski, that's like, yeah. we were both toast. So, um, cause we were far from where we, you know, it was a good drive to get there. And, uh, I let go. And my board, my, my leash had snapped because it was dragging behind the ski. So it snapped. So I was just floating there. I had a vest on. And, oh, yeah, yes, how big it was. It was probably like, I think we said it was like 15 to 18 foot, however you want to interpret that. Like, I'm saying like probably if you took three of me mm -hmm. and that were, what is 18 feet, six, whatever oh, it is. Um, yep, that's so, more than three probably. So let's say six foot. Yeah, face height, surfer height, wave yeah. of, of measuring it. Some, you know, there's other ways to measure it. Um, yeah, and I just watched this wall of water, just this mountain come at me. And uh, luckily I had like been fairly trained and, you know, breath work, whether it was through four surfing or like just like pranayama stuff. Um, so I was just breathing. And I was, it was maybe like I had like, 15 seconds so just where i was just floating just watching this massive wall of water come at me. <laughs> i was just breathing and trying to hold my breath and uh yeah it was actually i was only I, the hold down wasn't that bad it was just really vicious i had a vest on so mm. I, I was probably only underwater for like maybe 10 seconds and but i was like whoa like it was in a like a washing machine so leading up to that was like kind of scary in a way but once that was like i was kind of like i knew i was i, I had a good feeling i was going to be okay like it wasn't like super gnarly that day but one time i really did have like a good fear was 
I was surfing in New York on a winter day and it was like a blizzard, like snow on the beach, like very big and heavy and windy, just like ripping offshore wind. And I launched myself off the back of a wave that was closing out. And then the next set wave came and my leash snapped. And in New York, in the beaches are, uh, there's like jetties, big rock jetties, every maybe 50 to 100 yards that go out into the ocean. And on a big swell, even if it's not even, yeah, usually on like a higher tide, the jetties will pretty much be submerged by the ocean. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm floating and it's freezing. You know, I got my, my hooded wetsuit on, my boots and gloves, and you're like floating because of that, the, all the neoprene. And these set waves, I, I probably took like the second wave of the set and there was, a, I don't know how many waves were in the set, maybe like five or six. So I took the next four and they were just, I was trying to swim in because I didn't have my board. And the first couple I was trying to swim in, they were like breaking on my back. And then I was like winded. So I, I just floated and like waited for the set to go roll by. And then another way of just, I tried to just swim under it, popped up even more out of breath. And then I'm like making my way to the shore, but then the fucking, excuse me, um, the, the, uh, <laughs> the jetty starts sucking up because oh, it was like maybe two inches of water mm. over the jetties. So, and I was like, like survival mode kicked in and I was like, Oh shit. Like if I, if a wave comes, I'm, you know, there's only two inches of water, bro. These jetties, I'm going to get smashed. So then I made it to the beach and my dad was on the beach taking pictures that day, but we all looked the same, you know, with the black wetsuits on. And I I came out like distraught. Like I was like, I just almost drowned or almost got crushed. And, uh, he's like, Hey, <laughs> he was like, was that you on that last wave? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Did you see me trying to get in? He's like, Oh no. And then we were driving home and I was like quiet. Like I was shook. And he's like, are you all right? And I was like, yeah, but honestly, that was, that was pretty, pretty good beat down. Yeah. So that was, that was maybe more even fear than the, uh, being out in big, big stuff. Cause it was like a little more uncontrollable cause I ended up right near the, the rocks. Yeah. There's a lot more elements happening. Um, even though it was not necessarily, um, as big of a wave, right. You had like that Titanic moment where you like got to see it coming at you and hold your breath <laughs> and then get it taken. But you also knew in that New Zealand moment that you had a jet ski kind of nearby. So yeah, maybe yeah. The violence of it was a, a bit new of an experience, but with New York, that's, um, it's a bit chaotic. That sounded very chaotic and out of your control, right? Like as that's happening, it's like kind of like things are lining up when you think about things like that you don't want to happen. They start happening like all in a row, like leash breaks, it's freezing, um, it's high tide. Now the rocks are right underneath you. You might have another set coming. So what, what do you think was going on in your head? Do you feel like you were actually keeping yourself calm relative to what was going on? Or do you feel like there was a moment of like just frozen uh, inability to kind of uh, react? Um, no, I, so it was actually, I, it was the winter that I got back from my first trip to New Zealand mm. where it was for me. So I lived in uncle Mike's house and he was there for a couple weeks. And then there was some people upstairs you know, that were also like super close to me. Like we were great Fano, you know, that's what they call family. Um, but I was basically on the whole first floor by myself for like two months, um, or like month and a half. And, uh, so I had a lot of time to just like do yoga, meditate twice, two, three times a day. So I was super like Zen at the time. And I got back and I tried to continue that on and I had been doing the breath work stuff. So at that time, I think I was in a pretty good headspace to be like, and I had a pretty good amount of like, you know, those remote surf breaks where it's not similar stuff happened, but just kind of, you have to be safe, you know, when you're surfing more waves of consequence, like it wasn't too crazy, but, um, yeah, no, I was pretty aware of like, oh shit. All right. I got to get out of here. So then I kind of, I don't know. And I, I was ocean rescue lifeguard for five yeah. years and I was pretty comfortable other, you know, oh, and then like in lacrosse training, this was a great quote that the guy said was like, get comfortable or it's good to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And I was like kind of prided myself on trying to do that. So I looked at it as like, oh, oh, snap. Like it's go time. And I, you know, it's like survival mode. Mm. I didn't freeze for sure. Yeah. I kind of, other than being freezing, it was kind of <laughs> like, whoa, cool. All right, let's get out of here. Yeah, I guess that kind of charges that like it's time to move in order to save your life kind of thing. So it kind of gets you moving, um, which is is a neat kind of um 
reaction that can come out of fear or something that is scary or uncomfortable, like you said. And yoga, especially, um, I mean, there's all different types of yoga, but there's definitely a certain, you know, portion of yoga that can be really uncomfortable. And I think that's like the whole goal of yoga in a lot of ways is to be comfortable with the uncomfortable um, and to sit with it and not necessarily try and wiggle out of it. I think as humans, we want to draw in the pleasure in our lives, right? We want to hold on tight and then push away that, that pain, the painful aspects. But yoga teaches us to actually like, no, welcome it in and sit with it and like watch what happens. So um, I think you're right that there's a level of um, serenity that can happen. I think it was some, it was funny. I was just thinking of an experience I had that was kind of, I mean, I've never done any kind of big wave surfing, but when I spent some time in Fiji, I had, um, I had a buddy of mine who was a free diver and he just out of nowhere was like, oh, I, you know, he used to teach um, folks how to, you know, free diving, breath work and all that stuff. And I think it was Indonesia. Um, but he's like, hey, I just want to teach you guys. So we did a little breath workshop together like there's a few of us but he led it and I remember it was the first time I've ever gotten to a point with like breathwork exercise where I'm sitting in a meditation and actually allowing my diaphragm to spasm and like just being with it and not actually allowing breath back in I mean I could right so like that's the difference when you're underwater you don't necessarily have a choice in those moments but um, it was the most interesting experience the next day I was at swimming pools um, off of Namotu and I got just thrown, just total kook shit, really, because I just shouldn't have been where I was. I was too deep. And um, but I got thrown and just violently like turned around. But I at the time, I think I had probably just too big of a leash. Stupid. So I obviously changed after this moment. But what happened was the leash went around my feet three times oh. and just like locked me in. So I couldn't move. Yeah, that's freaky. <laughs> it's super freaky. Super and freaky. but it was the day after doing breath work. And I I remember being like wow, you've trained for this yesterday. Like, this is very bizarre. It almost felt like, as cheesy as it sounds, like perfect timing. So mm -hmm. um, it allowed me to also in a similar space of just like needing to channel to calm in, in chaos. I, it felt like I, I had the power to do it due to that kind of yoga or pranayama breath work that um, I had experience with. So very neat. Yeah, neat. right on. Yeah. That's cool. It, it's a good feeling to have that little bit of like, Oh, you know what? I've kind of trained for this. Uh, let's write it out. And this is what I trained for. Um, so good on you for, you know, making sure you were prepared. Well, by accident, but you know, from then on out, it became like, ah, there's use to, there's, um, there's a use, a use in, and working with the breath, especially as surfers, especially when you go into bigger stuff. Um, yeah. and, and breath work is just shows so much with ourselves. Right. And it, it activates that fear response because we want to let breath in. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we're doing holds and things like that, it can really trigger um, a lot within us. So I think it's really great um, just for all individuals, surfer or not. Um, switching gears and kind of ending on it, I suppose. Um, going back to Monarch, uh, I know the, where the name comes from, but for our listeners, where does the name come from? So Monarch surfboards, Let's see. Um, without, I'm going to try to not go all over the place with this explanation. You can. Why not? <laughs> um, you know, I've, I think I've been on a pretty spiritual journey since, you know, like going over to New Zealand and kind of switching up my whole life of, uh, you know, I, I was kind of just going through the motions the first couple of years of college. Um, accounting degree. Oh, I'm going to be a CPA. I'm going to boom, boom, work at these big, you know, I wanted to make a lot of money and, that was like what I focused on. And then it's actually cool. We, we started doing yoga with the lacrosse team and it was just like, at first it sucked. Cause it was like, Oh, all right. Now you guys have to wake up at uh, five 30, be at yoga at six. And if you're not there, you're fucking running you're going to run you to the ground if you're late for yoga or for late for anything for that matter. But that was my introduction to yoga. And then it felt good. And I thought it was like, cool. And like, you know, as much as guys would like rag on it for being yoga, I kind of liked it. And then I started doing yoga by myself in my room. Uh, and then I started like reading books on Buddhism. I had always, I had always been interested in Buddhism, but then like I, I, yeah. And then it was good timing with the whole uh, accounting internship coming up thing and me being like, I don't want to not lifeguard again or, you know, at least work somewhere that is kind of, I could be by the ocean. And I was thinking about all these things and I was kind of, you know, without knowing it at the time was on this like spiritual rendezvous of like new, 
oh, I don't want to do what I thought I wanted to do or should do. I, I really like this stuff. And monarch butterflies would kind of be, I would just see them. And I didn't really know, you know, I just thought they were like beautiful things. And then I read, what was the book? Uh, the Alchemist. The Alchemist, yeah. you know, and they, that kind of opened my eyes to omens from the universe. Uh, and at that time I was kind of pretty open to this whole universal energy thing, you know, just reading up more up on Buddhism, which was like a big, uh, factor of why when I got back from New Zealand, I, I basically switched the first time. So that was my junior year. So then the rest of the senior year, I only, I, I think I had already gotten my core requirements to get the accounting degree, but I still had to take like so many courses to be able to play lacrosse and play, you know, go there for a year. So I filled my schedule with, well, definitely watercolor both semesters and then Buddhism. I mean, uh, philosophy and like religious studies classes. Uh, I, I did jump all over the self. You got to read oh, it back that's, in. That's Where? all good. So going back to the name Monarch. So yeah. Monarchs was kind of along just the this kind of journey, basically, is what it sounds like as as omens yeah. for you. And and it would be crazy because I would be driving, and especially after The Alchemist, um, I'd be driving and like – you know, I would consider signs like natural things from the universe to be omens, whether it was like I have this thought and a leaf falls. And it's just like mm. I had this whole thing in my head that like if I was driving or thinking and I saw a leaf fall, like at the exact precise time that I'm finishing a thought that was like an important thought, I'd be like, oh, that was the universe telling me like that's a that like the, a, a leaf per se would be like, think about that. Think about that thought again. Don't let that go away. And then like a beautiful butterfly, like mostly monarchs would be like, yes, do that. That's a good thought. Don't think about it again. Just, you know, think about it again, but yes to that thought. Mm. And then it would be like, every once in a while, I'd see these like, maybe they were moths or something, and they're like white butterflies. And that would be like, eh, I don't know about that one. Hmm. Think about that a different way. So I had these kind of omens that would basically guide me, um, which led me from thinking I was going to be an accounting, CPA, whatever, uh, just kind of hanging out at home, maybe go with New York City or something to like follow your heart to your dreams. So it led me to New Zealand twice, the, you know, cool surf shop in Long Beach, Unsound Surf Shop. They were major supporter along the way, still are. Um, and then to California, you know, and now four years later, I've been in California for four years and I have my own surfboard brand, which is really just a fun back to the whole why do, why do I do it? It's fun to make surfboards for myself and for friends and get that good feedback. And then I genuinely just like the the building of surfboards, yeah. whether like shaping is fun and cool because that's where like, you know, you're getting your shape from, but I love glassing and I, I actually don't love sanding, but you have to sand, you know? Um, so yeah, glassing is my favorite part. Doing the resin color, it's kind of like an art, spiritual thing ties back to my my watercolor experience it's just very all-encompassing building surfboards it's just what i enjoy doing yeah yeah and monarch being a good omen it's like a good omen in general uh that's a beautiful name for for something that you're very passionate about that ties in a lot within your life mm, thanks yeah absolutely and then um where do you where do you feel inspired the most right now in the saltwater world? Is it with shaping or do you feel like it's kind of elsewhere? Maybe it's not in the saltwater world, but um, kind of last question, I suppose here, where's your inspiration right now? Um, it's definitely, I don't know. Where's my inspiration? Um, Where do you feel most inspired, like drawn to? Oh, to do? Well, yeah. the glassing. I feel really drawn to glassing right now. Mm. Like, um, yeah, I've been lucky. So I started hand shaping um, and... Then I, I always used the uh, CAD for CNC design to like make outlines and I'd get my numbers. And then I learned more about the CNC design. So now I'm design, you know, I've, I've turned, taken the dimensions from a couple of the boards I hand shaped and then put them into, you know, actually like making good files for them. So now I could get those CNC cut. Uh, and now that I know how to do that, then it's like, oh, I'm going to fucking, you know, make this and kind of get it cut and it's still my design or file or whatever um which i was kind of against too at first i you know i wasn't sure how i felt about not hand shaping boards but i have the other nine to five now which is paying the bills until you know i get more orders so get your orders in mm -hmm. but uh 
yeah, shaping is like, I love shaping. It's cool. That's like the, you know, I love making, you know, getting good feedback on the shapes is really where, you know, the feedback is because the shape works, but I love the building part of the surfboards. Like the building of surfboards is what I really enjoy. And I do love having someone like the shape be, you know, that what I designed is like cool to hear that they work, but enjoyness of building them is definitely in the laminating. Nice. Beautiful. Well, I hope you get to do more and it's funny, but our inspirations can always change too. So maybe it's completely different in the future, but for now glassing, that's it. That's, that's, that's the inspiration. So yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll see what the future holds. I don't know. I really have no idea. We all don't. That's, yeah. that's part of the beauty of it, but part of the, you know, kind of scariness, but that's the exciting part. Right. So with that being said, thank you so much for coming today. It's been super fun chatting and hearing your stories. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This is great. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the saltwater stories hosted by me, Christine Kent. If you enjoyed this episode, please share and like follow and are subscribed to wherever you're listening in today. If you think there are saltwater stories out there worth sharing on this podcast that I've yet to explore, please don't hesitate to reach out to me on my Instagram at the saltwater stories. 